Hi. Glad you could make it. Got your candy cane mocha, gingerbread rooibos, shortbread cookies. All right then. Let's get started. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Inspired Word Cafe. Cafe. I'm your host, Shimshon Obadia, they, them. With me is... And Macmillan, also they, them. And this is your monthly podcast of poetry, prose, and all the whole grain goodness of the written word. Here we shine our coffeehouse spotlight on writers whose words have made a difference to us, whose writing has resonated and done great good in being read. Here, we focus on the words that have inspired us. Today in the cafe, we've got Shari Dale and Ashley Giffen, both she, her. Ashley Giffen is a 22-year-old Cree Pueblo Icelandic artist. She was raised in Squamish territory, but now lives in Silks territory. She is a multidisciplinary artist exploring dream state, realm travel, and fragmented histories through lenses of critical indigeneity and discouraging genre. Her first play, Nip Quiet Water, held its first reading at the Arts Club Theatre Company, and she is currently in the process of a full-length commission at the Arts Club writing its duo project. Also, she was the 2019 Writing in the Margins Poetry winner in Briar Patch Magazine. And Shari Dale writes from Kelowna, BC on unceded Silks territory. Her creative nonfiction has appeared slash is appearing in The Fiddlehead and her poetry in Poetry is Dead, Room, CV2, Event, Grain, Arc, The Malahat Review, and elsewhere online. They'll be reading from their upcoming chapbook, BC Bitches, which receives support from the League of Canadian Poets. Which you can get release updates on by following Shari and Ashley on Instagram at sari.docx, that's S-A-R-I dot D-O-C-X, and galaxy underscore, which is G-A-L-A-X-I-I-E-E underscore, respectively. Then we'll get a chance to chat with them a bit about their work, and as always, blend things off with a brief discussion about what writing has been inspiring our fellow collective members here at the Inspired Word Cafe. A note before we get started. This content touches on depictions of underage substance use. Listener discretion is advised. Now, Ashley, Shari, thanks for joining us today. Hey! Yeah, thanks for having thanks, us. Guys. Well, we're so excited for you both to be here and uh, reading from this new forthcoming chapbook, BC Bitches. Uh, this is is just something that is really exciting, I think, for, for everyone at IWC. Whenever someone's making their own stuff and putting it out in the world, it's just, it's it's a really wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah, and I really love the poetry that uh, I really love the poetry you guys are going to read. And I also caught the uh, Zoom uh, reading that you guys did uh, for BC Bitches. Um, and it was just really great. <laughs> and so I'm super excited that we were able to get you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. thanks so much. I feel like these poems are super kind of close to our hearts. So mm-hmm. it's nice to hear people enjoying them too. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, um, Let's get into it. Uh, you're both going to be reading some sections out of uh, the chat book. Uh, so that's very exciting to get this little bit of a preview before it's even released. So thank you for, for coming on and, and reading this. Um, with Without too much uh, more, why, why don't we just get into it? Um, yeah, so I've got four poems to read today. Um, These are ones that I've kind of like added more recently to the collection. Um, And if I guess anybody heard our Zoom reading, um, these ones are more sort of based on teenagerhood uh, in Northern BC. Um, But yeah, I'll get into it. Um, Okay, Trout Eyes. 
The child eats trout eyes. Like grapes, they pop in her mouth. The skins taste like smoke. She likes to be seen chewing, her lips white with oil. Being unbearable occurs to her. It's like music, Eminem and grandpa's sauna. Brow scaled with sweat, she trips into fire twice before learning to walk forward while raking stones from sand. Nothing has to happen, but she questions it. She brings beer to uncle and drinks lake water on the low. On the dock, barefoot, her mother speaks to Sudbury loons. The child's language is inadequate. She sings in English on an overturned tub. Someone brings her fishing. They call her by her sister's name, which is a garden. She feeds dirt to the worms, fingernails black-brown. Uncle tosses trout in the boat. Later, he'll burn them on the barbecue, and someone will pass the child a paper plate. When she chews, a minnow will slip from her left ear. The slime will stain her tight tankini. She likely needs a new one anyhow. And the next one I'm going to do is um, motion sickness. Um, the child skips school to eat spicy chicken pitas. The jalapenos sting a hole in her tongue. She is certain this is where words fall through. The child can't find them, so Mr. Wood says she's a stoner. Her friend has a nipple piercing, and it's sort of true. She wants to feel a little like herself not much. She doesn't understand how her parents live loudly without music. The child hurts them in her quiet way. Birds against a window, she watches them screw their heads on. Her friend buys Diet Coke and Gravol. They sip four pills each and walk to the Salvation Army on 18th Avenue. It smells like a thing no one wants, but the child wants something. Her name is heavy. Today, it is money in her pocket. Like a kid, she falls asleep by the fitting rooms in a pile of clothes. They hold her like a faceless lover, like what she wants to say, but can't find the words for. New Year's. As if from nowhere, from nowhere, the snow. The snow, like thought, it fell. Like thought, it found an ending. The street lamps, mirrors of parked cars, skin brushing and in his dark hair melting, fingers on the buckle and kiss me if you want to, never take it too far. Okay, and the last one I'm gonna do is called construction. Um, the child sits at the world's edge. The sky is blueberry and her tongue is trash. This is an end, but not the last. The boys piss wine on drywall. It is a river, it is warm. Dreaming, they drive trucks into stardust. This is a house with God's ceiling, the insulation wrapped in plastic. Just another neighborhood to forget the name of. There are words and places, but the child is above language. At night, someone's brother brings her around, but she won't say where. They, still, they steal booze, watch the moon like a music video. Reality seems miles beneath. The mill's lights dance like drunk girls. She wants to suck someone off in this home sunk like an ax in the earth. 
A family will eat breakfast here. They'll feed babies, talk about the weather, which is nothing. The child understands a secret sitting on the railless deck with another Austin's head on her neck. When you're dead, no one cares what you do as long as you don't come back. Okay, this one is called Sweetness. It's still a bit sweet. It's a bit sour. The sweetness of baby chicks. This inevitable feeling I have of getting used to something. The playing, this laughing, the damp skin at night, the silent hums of your sleep, the land wild and alive until the morning bursts from you. In this dimension made of back roads, dirt roads you disappear into, not Queensland, but ours. We learn the sweetness of baby chicks the drive to Armstrong where we didn't speak, instead just hummed into the lupin fields, the short stay lavender, the neon water. I went to a white church and was asked to play an old wise man, gifting Jesus, a small tiny white baby just born, cooing in the gospel. This was an obligation to a friend. She thought it would cleanse her of kissing girls, our lips naive and plump, the tingle of warm secrets. I did not want to be clean from it. I wanted to kiss forever just her. The pastor slithering in the basement library, puberty, a sophisticated gateway of corruption. To them, these men like him wither, a cold secret. These people often make a stomach feel funny I don't hear spirit in their songs, just a mirage, not glistening, but dull. The angels are not animated in stained glass. The sun hides behind mountain. Why would God sit in the light of this land who does not know him in words, only in rule and in shame? This land hides his sun in hidden mountain and hibernation roots. Only creatures up there who know nothing of this know that light. Noah was building his ark and Sundance was building his canoe. The world was ending for them and here native girls are mushing berries and staining their cheeks to impress. Just telling stories of babies born from lightning seduced by thunder while they dance in ruby mud. It is not the, it is not the same world we live in. We are separated by something older than time. Um, and this one is called, um, it's just about uh, being tender or tenderness. I don't have a name for it. There is nothing soft here but remembering. These teenage girls spray paint, spray paint old language and smoke bowls by the river, the huge bong. That river unprotected, but it sings all night to the girls. These girls walk here high, so there is something soft here on that bridge. Last summer, my auntie came all the way from Winnipeg to come grieve in the rain. She stayed up late and drank the instant stuff and showed me how to sew. We don't hear the wild dogs here, but the post metal show walk through the graveyards of gay bars on Davy Street remind you of that wildness that soft quiet that is alive. 
That summer we took the trail, red mud covered, melanated knees, thinking we'd unseen fairies in the thick of Salish Mountain, the creek we hide. You learned the taste of watermelon chapstick, a dollar store buy she always had in that little bag, the smoke from her lips, sneaking darts behind the skate park, an edge about her, pulling back cedar strips to see you. I want to kiss those skin knees. I love to watch you high on those wheels, cool high school girl. You were dark that summer, white dress. You got spanked every day, babysitting boys who pinned you down underneath River Bridge. The salmon coming fast up the current, eyeing the beer bottle engraved shoreline. Eternal sticky of cyclone sweet, feeling a fish hook. It was an accident, a cigarette burn, a skinny clavicle. Adults get away with everything, babies raising babies. Mum, I lost my abalone earring playing in that running river, and I know I'm never going to get it back. Oh, thank thank you. you so much. Yeah, yeah. Both of you, those were just so, so wonderful. Thank you. Uh, well, just to start off, uh, I thought I'd ask you both about uh, what the process of working together on this was. Uh, I know from my own experience, it's not always easy to uh, collaborate with someone else, especially when it comes to something as intimate as these poems are. Um, and you managed to actually pull this really beautiful balance uh, when you did it. They almost play to me like counterpoints, perfect counterpoints to each other going back and forth between your poems. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think it came from a very sort of like natural place or like Ash and I have like a fair bit in common Um like when it comes to our kind of like teenage years and some of the things that we experienced. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was, this project is definitely like, it wouldn't exist if we weren't close friends and it has its roots in just like, I don't know, like drunk nights together talking about high school and like um, these just ridiculous stories and the weird kind of culture of like British Columbia. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the birth of BC bitches happened when we went together um, and we were like drunk on our new back porch and we were just like reminiscing about growing up in BC and like it's very like a mirrored image of our teenagehood like teenagers that you know you have nowhere to go so you get drunk at the river like sort of same alcohol stoner culture and we were like what if we made a chapbook like called BC bitches because that's just like I don't know our spirits and we have similar spirits we're both like pisces um we like instantly connected when we met each other in school we met in michael v smith's um the power of story class um even though i was a horrible student um <laughs> but shout out michael. um we actually just yeah, had we, michael on the podcast uh yeah, a no, ago, yeah. That, <laughs> it was a great episode um but yeah, so I think we just like instantly connected. And I think that, yeah, growing up in like small BC towns and like also being queer and like also feeling like we're not really from a place that we grew up in um, kind of just like connected us. Um, and we just like a lot of the same like cultural pop culture stuff. So 
yeah, we have very similar like poetic, I don't know, uh, energies. Like we write yeah. like free verse poems. <laughs> like yeah, it's like yeah it's so great when you find someone who you can really relate to and almost and collaborate with um i did sense that there was a lot of like shared experience uh in your poetry which i think really contributes to them working so well together um and it's just yeah it's just a really wonderful thing when you really connect with somebody creatively like that it's makes for a really good working process and I think it's something that people are gonna really enjoy uh when they read BC Bitches yeah Yeah. it was just kind of like to like process wise like a really sort of lovely thing to develop in some ways because like during the summer we would kind of sit at the kitchen table together and we'd talk about things that we'd gone through and then we'd um you know go silent and start like working on like poems and just like I don't know just stream of consciousness like writing about stuff for a while Mm -hmm. and yeah it was almost I don't know yeah like a bonding thing as well Mm -hmm. like it wasn't just like it didn't just come from that it like formed that as well so yeah and it's lucky that we like live together too because sort of like what I was saying to Shari is you know we can look at this time that we live together like it's very rare to have to live with your best friend who also is like compatible both living and creatively right because mm-hmm. usually there's like something that happens where it's like okay we can live together but we can't make something together <laughs> it's like end up hating each other but like that hasn't happened yet um <laughs> and um yeah so looking at it as a sort of like and as we finish bc bitches as a sort of residency together um and because a lot of our like teenage years were informed by similar pop culture like that was something that bonded shari and i right away was like we love the same shows and movies and books and gay stuff and like just all this awesome stuff that we had in common so like we don't want to just make a poetry book like okay let's sit at this desk and like talk about form and structure let's like drink wine and like watch iconic childhood movies that will inform like us remembering right remembering what it felt like to be that age which to me would make the poetry better mm-hmm. yeah i mean i you you definitely get a sense of that throughout you feel like i mean i neither am nor myself grew up in bc but I feel like we've gotten this really accurate picture of what it's like to grow up in BC, those darker moments that you managed to weave in there and talk about these realities. Uh, You know, Ashley, with you, I found uh, this uh, experience of otherness you talk about, of feeling like you can inhabit the same space as someone else and uh, still be, you know, in a totally different world and for me I found that just infinitely relatable uh you know growing up as a queer person of color uh, my, myself I, I just I've always kind of you have that feeling then the way that you on that first poem you just end it by just naming it for what it is of these two separate worlds yeah um I feel like that's also definitely something that we um connected on growing up in BC for me or what Shari and I both feel like is this culture of BC tourism, right? That kind of permeates BC, like, um, what's that magazine called? Beautiful British Club. Oh yeah, Explore BC, <laughs> right? And it's just like ridiculous because growing up in like Squamish when I'd meet people that weren't from Squamish and they'd be like, 
what you don't ski like you don't mountain bike like you don't do all these things and you I was like nature. yeah you don't like worship nature and I'm like yo I love nature but I'm also just like 14 and I'm just like a stoner and I don't really want to like go mountain biking every weekend because it's sort of like this privileged this privileged culture of like viewing of wanting this land to be wild and uninhabited uninhabited and freeing while at the same time BC is filled with like pipeline conflicts dam conflicts like environmental catastrophe and it's like you can't have both of those things at the same time so as like an indigenous girl whose nation isn't from BC but I grow up in BC I see like sort of the diasporic look of going in and then adding like being queer onto that and just not really like resonating with it and these small towns that have a huge like alcoholism culture where it's just like it's so normalized that that's the only thing that you do um yeah so I, I definitely felt like that growing up with just like being in like white neighborhoods and stuff and even being native it's like it's weird to feel like like you're in a foreign place but this is like literally like indigenous land so that was like that's something that I want to touch on in my poetry yeah this like refusal for BC to be this like vast wilderness when like it really isn't it isn't that so like BC bitches is like the specific explore <laughs> BC that's just like ridiculous and disgusting but BC <laughs> wants to make it look like this beautiful like paradise when I'm like it's not that yeah it yeah. is that. yeah it is really interesting just because I grew up in Alberta and the experience it is the conversation around land and our relationship to it is very much more prevalent in BC from a very much younger age I feel than in a place like Alberta where the issues are completely different um and it is it is pretty common of a theme for uh in BC poetry to write about the land and nature um and you know there is a pattern of people writing about it in a pretty passive way um so I think it's really great that you are not writing about it in a passive way and you're writing about it in this very concrete way that's questioning your relationship to it questioning other people's relationship to it and actually saying this is the actual real place that we live in um and it's not just some beautiful like wild landscape that's pristine and you know and untouched right because in a lot of places it's not like that um and i feel like a lot more people are aware of that uh and a lot more people want to talk about that here so i think it's really great that you're bringing that up in your poetry mm -hmm as well as like people seem to like want us to write write about that it seems like the norm for like bc poets so i think shari and i are very like cautious of the way that we are entering like writing a chapbook and like hopefully a book in the future because we're like actually we don't want to just do what you guys have done we want to just like yeah. come from a perspective of just being like a coming of age yeah bc story mm -hmm. instead of just like about the trees yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I think like 
like when like nature takes like such kind of um like center stage in a lot of bc poetry it's so easy to forget like some of the stuff like ashley was talking about with like industrialization and just how you know like how much havoc has been reaped re on the like environment um in bc and it's not like this you know pristine wilderness like yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel like you get a lot of that where it's not just in both of your poems, it's not just about the wilderness, it's about the people in the place and how they interact with it and the effect that they have on it, right? Um, and I think that's really important to acknowledge because we are here and we are having an effect on the land around us. And it's not always it's not always good <laughs> you know as you said and it's important for us to be aware of that and to be questioning that all the time mm -hmm. yeah and uh you know speaking of kind of this process of, of growing up and how this uh affects people uh in in places uh just getting uh back to uh shari some of uh your work here is you managed to hit on that really well this um kind of i I really has I know I mentioned angst earlier and I really hesitate to call it uh, like teenage angst because it, it's so much more than that it's not just angst um but there there is this this tension of the feeling of of what it is to to be growing up you know somewhere like this you're talking about you know being af affected very much by the expectations of a very large and dominant tourist industry um and what that does to uh, folks who, who grow up and have to deal with that, uh, that middle ground of being, you know, not not quite old enough necessarily to be fully independent, but not quite young enough to be uh, entertained, like by your PE teacher, as, as you mentioned, in one of your poems and stuff, but, uh, having this <laughs> middle ground, you have to, to balance there. And yeah, I guess, angst that comes along with that. Yeah, totally. I think like I resonate with angst. I still feel like my like writing. Bad yeah, yeah. <laughs> bad rep. But yeah. I, I like some angst. Um, yeah, I mean, like I grew up um, until I moved to Kelowna. I lived in Prince George um, and Prince George is uh, like a smallish uh, mill town. It has a it's very kind of similar to like Alberta culture where um, a lot of the schooling is geared towards um, trades and you don't really see very much um, like artistic representation. Um, and so I think like in my poems, a lot of the like angst or the, I don't know, like sadness in the poems comes from this like feeling of like impossibility um like growing up in Prince George you know your job opportunities are in the mills where you're like um I mean like it's kind of uh I don't know insider Prince George knowledge but <laughs> these mill jobs are like it's a lot of just like standing around and watching machinery and watching this sort of like plumes of um pollution rise <laughs> you know um so it's, it's kind of a very depressing outlook and so in comparison to like that high school felt kind of like this um brief period of like freedom before you go and start working um in a environment uh that's destroying the environment um <laughs> Yeah, so there's a lot of that, I think, as well. In Prince George, um, there's a huge kind of, like, 
teenage addiction culture where um like basically the pastimes in town are like drinking and drugs so that turns up a lot in these poems yeah Mm -hmm. there's kind of like a a disconnect that comes from that experience that you feel through um, some of this work for both of you, actually. Uh, But uh, Shari, I really noticed that in yours where it's not a bad disconnect, like we're totally removed, but we're observing a lot of the times. I feel like right from the start, that first um, one you read today, uh, you know, following the the child, uh, the trout eyes one, where it almost feels like we're looking at like an old color photograph or a Polaroid or something uh, of this scene. And then as the poems progress throughout the book, we get kind of almost like higher resolution captures of these moments, but we're always still just a little bit removed from that. And I feel like a lot of what you're saying, it, it kind of comes through in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think um, like the poems, feel sort of dissociative to me in a way like they are like based on things that happened in my life but when I'm writing them I completely like remove myself and try to look at it as if you know those weren't things that happened um so yeah I can see that and also I think nostalgia plays like a huge sort of role and just the idea of like memory and how we remember and what influences the sort of details that stand out so brightly in our like minds mm-hmm. um and so it makes sense to me that the like earlier ones or ones that are set earlier in my life feel like more blurry and then the more, more recent ones are like more highly specific maybe <laughs> yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, the nostalgia factor really plays in pretty strongly uh, for these poems uh, for me. And the way that you, you can really feel that distance where maybe at the time uh, as a teenager, you aren't thinking about the things that you're thinking about when you're an adult looking back on it, right? And so the reflection comes from the looking back on it, not the experiencing of it. Um and that's something that I think works really well in kind of talking about these issues of talking about your relationship to the land and the relationship to place and your relationship to uh, your, especially uh, for both of the, your poems, a lot about uh, this kind of feminine identity that you're sort of growing into. Um, it really feels like you're able to reflect on that as an adult and the reader is able to do that along with the narrator because there's that distance of not necessarily nostalgia because not everything because nostalgia is colored by like rose tinted glasses a lot of the time and it's almost like it's the opposite like blue tinted glasses almost where Mm -hmm. you're looking back on these times of when maybe you you weren't yet the person who you wanted to be or you weren't in the place that you wanted to be yet Mm -hmm. Well, it's also glamor- glamorization, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's also a huge part of like what we sort of like discuss in our poetry is like as a teenager, you're always like, oh, this is like the moment, even if it's like something good or bad. You're like, this is all I'm ever going to have is like this moment. And I feel like people kind of shit on teenagers for glamorizing things or being angsty or like being emotional, like living their fantasy, um, even if it's just like, you know, you're at the river and like listening to music or something. But I feel like 
we can't really shit on teenagers for doing that, especially in like a small town situation, because like that really is all they have in the moment. And I feel like people that aren't pursuing art feel like that is like a negative habit that you need to release. Like, oh, you shouldn't be being nostalgic about the past or reminiscing. But I feel like every artist I've ever met is very much obsessed with the activity of reminiscing or being slightly angsty or, you know, being slightly obsessed with their own life experience. Because I feel like you're not going to make any, you know, meaningful or authentic or specific art if you're not being at least like a little angsty about your past or a little like glamorizing it or like exaggerating it because yeah I just feel like that was like that's the best thing about being a teenager is like making every moment like the moment yeah yeah well and at its core that's that's uh self-reflectivity it's it's, that's Mm -hmm. what drives so much great are not obviously everything, but you know, they're really, you have to be able to, to have that level of self observation and, and criticalness that really does come from that younger age. And so uh, maybe that's why so many uh, artists and creatives are, are just, we're, we're so angsty all the time because we're, we're just yeah. really good at reflecting on ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, completely. Yeah, and both of you do a really good job in different ways of kind of communicating that in different um, through the rhythm of your pieces. Rhythm, I think, is a really important aspect for both of you in different ways. Shari, you do, you're not ever obviously listening to this podcast, you aren't seeing it written on the page, but all of your poems are written in these coupled lines with line breaks in between them. Um, And that really gives this, it gives a very like regular rhythm that kind of breaks up the irregularity that comes with spoken, regular spoken word. Right. And that really helps to create that distance between the narrator and what's happening in the poem. Um, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I would say, Ashley, your work really has that more kind of storytelling flow uh, where the lines don't have, aren't all the same length and they kind of, there's line breaks and enjambment and all that kind of stuff. And that really d- tells the story in a different way where it feels a bit more personal and a bit more like that reminiscing and nostalgic kind of feeling. Um, and... I just wonder how both of you consider rhythm when you're writing your works and how you kind of use that to your advantage when it comes to your storytelling. Um, I think for me, like, like I don't always want to write structured poems, but I feel so uncomfortable when I don't that I like, I don't know, I can't do it. I'm kind of like, intense when I'm like writing poetry where I'll like measure the lines with like a ruler because I can't have them be longer than like it just really bothers me so I like that comes from my own sort of (laughs) I don't know weird neuroses um but yeah I don't know I mean I also I sort of I like the couplets for this as well because um I don't know I, I think especially with the distance like I wanted to tell these poems like as if the child was this sort of like archetypal like character or something, even though um, she's like very much not that, like all of the things that she does are very like highly specific and detailed, but I just thought it was like 
funny to use something so like general and I feel like the couplets um sort of help with that because they're very like formal seeming or very um like poetically historical so there's like something that like this historical word I don't know that seems like a word classic classical question mark yeah, <laughs> oh, something like that. Um, yeah, there was just something funny to me about it, and yeah, couplets and poems about like taking too much gravel. Like I just, I that's my sense of humor. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, I I'm kind of like the opposite. I'll really do anything to make it like not as formatted as class classical as possible and I feel like it's really just how a lot of indigenous people and people of color started writing poetry and then white poets take it and they're like oh this is so crazy like we're not gonna like do couplets or like write sonnets it's gonna be free verse or we're gonna like make an image out of the words and I'm like what like native people were already doing that so for me I just like making it as like sort of garbage to look at as possible because it makes people try harder i don't know right well well we're big fans uh, of any kind of shit disturbing so especially in writing <laughs> um where can people uh contact you find you follow you etc uh to eventually get news of this book and and get their hands uh on these wonderful wonderful poems yeah i would we're putting together like a wait list for people to be like notified um when we have it like printed um, so if you contact either Ashley or I via our Instagram account, that's probably the best way to stay in this post about BC bitches, like when things happen. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And the links to all that, along with everything else from this episode will be available down below in the show notes. So please take the time to check that out and follow uh, Shari and Ashley and get news of this wonderful chapbook bc bitches when it comes out oh so very very soon yeah get on that wait list all right well unfortunately that's just about all the time we have uh i just want to thank you both so very very much for joining us uh and for giving us a little bit of a sneak peek on this chapbook uh before it's out in the world yes. <laughs> thank you so much for having us guys this was yeah. great yeah it was Up next, we've got our collective segment. Time to check in with our fellow IWC collective members about what words have been inspiring us lately. Sitting down to talk about what they're reading and writing today are Maddie Bishop, she, her, and Cole Mash, he, him. Maddie Bishop is a Kelowna-based poet and member of the Inspired Word Cafe Collective. She has published poetry and anthologies nationwide, but you can find most of her poetry scattered throughout Instagram captions and random posts on fanfiction websites. Isolation in the COVID-19 pandemic has awakened a newfound love of plants and 90s rap music in her that has been both a satisfying and confusing combination. You can find her at at CupcakeTheCute on Instagram and other places if you dig. However, she recommends not digging. And Cole Mash, who was just on the podcast last month, is a poet, spoken word artist, and writer who lives on the unceded Sealks Okanagan territory in Kelowna, BC. He is the managing director of nonprofits arts organization Inspired Word Cafe and of Kelowna Poetry Slam. He teaches sessionally at UBC Okanagan and Okanagan College and is currently pursuing a PhD at SFU in English. Maddie, Cole, thanks for joining us in the cafe. Oh, thanks hey. for having us. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. Sweet. Yeah, so we're glad, really... so glad to have you both here. Yeah, we're excited to get talking about what's been inspiring us this month, and all of the great things that we've been reading. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I will actually kick us off. Uh, so, what I've been reading this month is a record of a spaceborne few by Becky Chambers. Um, it's part of she's a sci-fi writer, and it's part of her Wayfarer series novels, uh, which is basically the general premise is that. Uh, Earth became uninhabitable, so humans went off in this big fleet of ships called the Exodus Fleet and were discovered by what is called the GC or the Galactic Community, which is sort of like kind of similar to like Star Trek's Federation of Planets, where it's like this like united group of all these different galactic communities. And they're like the newest members of the galactic community, which is very different from a lot of other sci-fi where humans are normally at like the forefront of creating this like group of planets or uh, civilizations or things like that Um, and this is the third book in the series which focuses specifically on a few different characters living on this exodus fleet actually Um, and I love Becky Chambers work it's really like very (laughs) it's even though it's this idea that like earth is like no longer inhabitable and that humans are like really far away from where they came from. It's actually a very interesting and hopeful look at kind of like a future like space societies. Yeah, this is just a really like great series in general. I'm also just a huge Becky Chambers fan. Like this is some really awesome, uh, like just wholesome, fun sci-fi, but like very, very happy kind of outlook, which I feel like is so needed with everything just kind of, you know, hitting the fan right now it's it's really uh really uplifting and stuff and like i was saying like the the representation not just like queer representation but also like it's not just only white people in space <laughs> which uh it's just like as i guess as like the only non-white person in this group right now it's just like i you know nothing wrong with white people in space i love star wars i love so much star trek but like at the same time it is so refreshing to get to like just read about faces i'm like this looks like i could be in space and there are so many things in sci-fi which is like my favorite genre and is that that just don't have that so like in terms of all-round representation just really great but also like it's just it's just fun it's like a really fun romp through the stars and stuff Mm mm-hmm is it, is it like uh, 900 pages every book? Uh, no, <laughs> no, it, they're it, like 400 it, pages. Yeah, they're, they're really it's reasonable. Like a, it, I don't want to say efficient because that makes it seem cold, but it's really like she only gives the details that you need to really flesh out the different worlds that she's in and in a way that really like sparks your imagination and you can kind of fill in the gaps for the things that she describes. And it's not like... Not nothing against J.R.R. Tolkien, but it's not like a full page description of like what the room looks like or <laughs> what the castle looks like, right? So yeah, I mean, and and this like clearly is really well written. It uh, just won the Hugo Award, not this past Hugo Awards, but the year before for uh, best series. And I was really just kind of devastated to learn that like the last book in this series is coming out in a few months. Uh, yeah, a few months from now, next year. And so I was like, oh, it's ending. It's like it's the format that could just go on forever because none of the books are like canonically linked really. Well, yeah. So it's not like a series of an ongoing story over the books. It's just different stories set in the same universe. So there might be like an overlap of uh, characters. Like one of the characters in the current book that I'm reading is the sister of a captain in the first book. 
but it's not related to the story in the first book. But there's that like kind of bit of a relation where you're like, I know this character and their context in the story, but they have their own stories and their own plots. And that's really, it's a nice format, I think. That's awesome. I'm a big fan of like ensemble generally. So, but I'd never really thought about it. It's almost like ensemble series, like, like, as opposed to like an ensemble novel or something that has a bunch of interlinked stories. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just definitely follows uh, a couple of different stories going throughout. So it's really great and I'm really enjoying it. Um, Cole, what are you reading right now? Oh, uh, that's like a traumatizing question for me right now. (laughs) Um, I'm working on my field exams for my PhD. Uh, so I'm working on my primary exam right now. Um, so the, the, like the elevator pitch is that you get a list of 60 books, you create a list of 60 to 80 books. Um, and you have three months. Yes. That's a guitar. Um, and you have three months to, to read them, uh, or like read as much as quickly and as much as you can of them and, and then write a long paper about them. So I'm about to do that in, uh, I'll have 10 days to write a paper um starting december 10th um so yeah i mean like for me it's kind of a funny like question what am i reading because one of the things i'm reading about is reading um (laughs) sort of like meta question of like what do you mean when you say what do we talk about when we talk about reading to sort of paraphrase um raymond carver i think that that goes into you're you know really deep in this stuff uh, for your your phd and uh, at the same time i'm hearing a lot of like echoes of some of the the stuff that like i've heard you really like in terms of your poetry at like iwc stuff where there there is this very um i don't, know, I don't want to say meta because i feel like that's so cheesy <laughs> but like it's kind of like this this meta look at uh or or more like introspective kind of look in your work that i've always really loved uh where you're able to to bring us into your world as if it's our world which is one of the things that i i love about poetry so much so i can i mean obviously you pick this stuff for a good reason uh, <laughs> but i can see those those kinds of back and forth stuff uh how, how's that kind of affecting like uh your your creative writing or just your your writing in general you find right now um well it's definitely like like right now i'm, I'm working on finishing a manuscript uh that it's it's quite close to like a solid draft and then i would like to send that draft to people and then print it out and put it in a in a closet and not think about it for a few months and then kind of get some feedback and and begin that process of really turning it into something that I'm stoked on but um so right now like it's uh, it's I'm at this point where I'm like working with something that that I don't want to be influenced anymore because that means it's going to take me longer to finish it and I just like I'm I write 75 things for every one thing that I like or include and so one of my huge problems is like scope um, but it's definitely influencing how I'm thinking about the future of my performance um, and the, f- the future performance in, in, the, in terms of like being in a physical space and reading poems to an audience or virtually or, or whatever. Um, and so I've definitely been thinking a lot about uh, kind of once I'm, this manuscript is sort of blends essay, memoir, poetry. Uh, but I'd like to return to performance poetry when it's done and start doing some recording um, and kind of put together like a little EP of poems and sound collage and 
and these sorts of things. And so it's, it's, I, I'm sort of like taking notes for like the thing I, I am not working on yet. I feel like I've babbled on a little bit. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, Shimshon, what, what have you been reading and, and thinking and, and writing about? Uh, I, I've been reading actually uh, something a little more uh, lighthearted uh, just cause you know, talking about the the darkness and like the days are darkening uh the the world feels like a really dark place so i thought I'd, I'd pick up something uh really fun and uh actually at the bookstore the other day i think this is the fastest i've ever decided it to was buy a book. amazing they picked the book up and looked at it and then just put it into their pile i have never seen shibshan pick something up so quickly yeah normally i'm life. super indecisive right about like everything uh, but... But uh, yeah, I just uh, I I just saw it and I was like, you know what? This seems hilarious and fun, and uh, and yeah, I, I I've never decided to pick up a book so fast, and like I just I just tore through it, like I couldn't put it down. Um, it's called Kill the Farm Boy. It's by Delilah S. Dawson and uh, Kevin Hearn, and it is just it it starts off like this uh, kind of traditional. Uh, epic kind of fantasy setup, uh, a little bit of like Lord of the Rings, but like very quickly it goes off the rails. Yeah, well, you would say that the genre of this book kind of not genre, but the category that this might fall into is uh, twisted tales. I think is what they call it, where they take uh, sort of um, traditional fairy tales and turn them on their head. So the characters do unexpected things or the context for the fairy tale is different. Um, and I know that's uh, quite different from what you usually read, Shimshan, because I know you're not always a fan of twisted tales just because sometimes some of them can be a bit not as twisted as you would like to think that they are. Like normally a lot of these twisted tales, they will take these kind of cheap shot jokes, which are usually at the expense of uh, typically it's like queer folks or if it's a little older, it's, you know, people of color and stuff. Um, and a lot of it will be like, uh, especially a, a big trope in these twisted tales tends to be a lot of like uh, low key transphobic jokes because it's, it could be like an, an easy hit for, for a long time. And now it, obviously that's way less acceptable, but as a trans person reading those, I was like, well, this whole section of books just didn't feel comfortable because even though they're just low key jokes, you, you find a lot of them. Uh, but what I really liked in here is that there, there just, there wasn't any of that. It didn't have to take any really low jokes and it could still have like really, really stupid humor that just made me like cackle all night long. Uh, so I, I really like that, and it kind of um, got me inspired to write a little something like along, uh, not so directly along those lines, because I'll be honest, I don't think I have those kinds of comedy chops, <laughs> but uh, still like lighter hearted and funny and something like I wanted to write something that would just cheer me up a little bit. Uh, so I started writing this story in the form of letters of this like correspondence from a shadow monster writing to a sheep that it really wants to eat and like very quickly it's just kind of unraveling and i'm having this like sheep starting to cause all sorts of trouble and uh the shadow monster is just like getting more and more frustrated but it's just the shadow monster's side of the letters also i should mention they have like a really good postal service in this short story that i'm writing so um but it, it's just it's a lot of fun to be able to feel like I can have license to play with this. And whether or not, like, when I finish this, I think this is worth trying to get published, 
doesn't feel like it's all that relevant because I'm just having like so much fun uh, feeling like I have the license to play in a realm that I previously felt kind of locked out of, uh, which has been really nice. It's, I think sometimes like the, I don't know, like who does it or, or what processes do it, but the fun is like so easily sucked out of writing, or at least the, 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 your license to have fun is so easily sucked out of writing. When you see fun in other writing, when you read fun, you never go like, well, I wish this was like more serious, you know, or maybe sometimes you do, but I think a lot of the time you feel you, 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 it brings you joy but I for my own self and I think a lot of people and maybe this is sort of bound up in like a some sort of like long-winded study on the creative writing program um and, and but I, I just I feel like I, I'm not allowed to to have fun uh, because it's not uh it doesn't have the affect that good writing needs or something mm -hmm. so that's, yeah. that's nice to hear yeah it is uh it, it's just it's so relieving I mean, everyone should kind of get to have fun with their writing because like that that's why you start writing, right? That's that's like when you're you're a kid, you're like writing your own stories or whatever. Like whatever that first impulse was to to just create a story, like that comes from somewhere fun. I'm pretty sure for everyone. I don't know, maybe there's some really mopey kids out there who just like write to be as <laughs> dramatic as possible. But there is. Yeah, there are. There are. Yeah, there is. There. <laughs> uh, actually, no, come to think of it, um, my dad was going through some of my old stuff uh, that I still have left uh, in Toronto. And one of them was a book of poems I had started at the age of, uh, I think it was like seven. So, and I had to get like my dad to write because my writing, my handwriting is still terribly messy, but like back then it was completely chicken scratch. Um, and my dad was like reading them to me. And they're just these like really depressing poems about being depressed. But like, I wasn't a very depressed kid. It's just, I thought that poetry had to be super depressing. So like the earliest records of my writing are these like an eight year old's or seven year old's idea of what depressed writing looks like. That is really funny. <laughs> yeah. And I think anyone who writes poetry can kind of relate to that. Anyway. Uh, but moving on uh, on that very happy note uh maddie what what have you been uh reading and uh, and how's that been uh been influencing you uh lately i've actually gone back on a classic lately that i really like it's called fangirl um it's not a very diverse novel it's not very like you know interesting it's set in nebraska there's not a lot going on but it's um it's something i really relate to it's like about a girl in college that um it's just trying to get through life and you know she writes fan fiction and that's kind of her thing she's really big on the internet but then in real life she just doesn't know anybody um and i just it's by rainbow rowell and i think she just does really amazing stuff she did um landlines was her adult novel i've never read it because i don't really typically read adult novels i'm i'm still in the teen zone um but she also did uh Eleanor and Park, which was a really amazing novel about um, like a teen romance set in the 1980s or 70s, I think. Um, and it was, it was just, I don't know, I really love her writing. She's very um, blunt. <laughs> I like when writing's blunt. Mm -hmm. It's really good. <laughs> Even my mom liked it. So 
Um, well, that's really great to hear. It's really, um, those kinds of books were really nice because it's like, they, it feels like it's sort of like a coming of age story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's really nice to be able to have those books. And Maddie, I think it's really interesting that you've been uh, like diving so much into coming of age stories and you're talking about like looking at stuff that's just a little more blunt because that's, that's some of, I think, the parts of your poetry that I appreciate uh, and bring that out in your writing is a, a wonderful thing. I was wondering if you could talk a, a little bit more about that to us. I was actually thinking about this recently because... Um, I don't write very often. I look back at my writing a lot. Like I just like to read my own writing and then, you know, nitpick at it. Um, in, in Google Docs, you can go by uh, chron like dates in chronological order. And I was looking at my file and I've noticed you can kind of, I, I, don't, I have a hard time taking perspective. So I'm kind of just trying to figure out um, how to explain what's up with me before I can figure out how to, you know, understand other people. Mm -hmm. unfortunately that's just about all the time we have right now uh i just wanted to say a huge thanks cole maddie really appreciate you both being here thanks so much yeah really, it was really a pleasure having, having you guys having you on. thanks for having me thanks yeah, for having no us That's all for this time. Thank you for joining us today. We'll be back in the new year with Kathleen Gross, she, her, who will be reading from her new graphic novel, Joe, a sort of adaptation of Little Women. Available now in bookstores everywhere from Harper Alley, a Harper Collins imprint. But we're pretty partial to you getting your copy from your local independent bookseller. And trust us, you won't want to miss this one. The podcast is made by... M. Macmillan, they, them. And me, Shimshan Obadia, also they, them. And by... Ashley Giffen, she, her. Shari Dale, she, her. Molly Bishop, she, her. Cole Nash, he, him. This podcast is funded in part by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and the City of Kelowna. The theme music is by M. Macmillan and the logo is by yours truly. If you haven't had a chance yet, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really do help. And if you really like this podcast, feel free to share it with a friend. That word of mouth thing works pretty well. I heard it from a friend of a friend. Stay tuned for our special episodes of Inspired Word Cafe live events, which will be dropping oh so very, very soon. And our next open mic event is coming up on January 14th, 2021 at 7 p.m. Now, like everything we've been doing, including this podcast, it will be a physically distanced and virtual event with very limited spots for readers. So if you want to read at this event, please email Aaron at inspiredwordcafe.com. If you just want to watch live, check out inspiredwordcafe.com to find the Zoom video conferencing link for this virtual event, even if you don't live in the Okanagan. Now, speaking of the Okanagan Valley, we'd also like to take this moment to acknowledge that this podcast is made on the unceded traditional territory of the Sealt Okanagan people, and more importantly, that we are uninvited guests on this land. For more about the Okanagan Nation Alliance, please visit sealks.org. That's S-Y-I-L-X dot org. And for more about the Inspired Word Cafe, please feel free to check us out on inspiredwordcafe.com and follow us at, at inspiredwordcafe.com on social media. Thanks, Thanks for, for stopping, stopping by, by the, the cafe. cafe.